We started last week a series, Letters to the Church, and we talked about the letter to the church in Galatia last week. This morning, we're going to be talking about the letter Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so if you'd turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, uh, we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians this morning. I was sharing last week that of the 21 epistles in the New Testament, that 13 of them were written by the apostle Paul. And so he wrote a majority of what we now call the books of the Bible, but they were, in fact, written as letters. They weren't written as books. Um, and, and, and imagine this for a minute. Paul, when writing these letters, was just writing a letter. He didn't know that he was writing the Bible. Does that make sense? He didn't know. He didn't sit down and go, I'm going to write a letter that will become a part of the Bible one day. He was just writing a letter to a group of people that he cared deeply about. And I was sharing last week, we, we don't get a lot of mail uh, as far as personal letters anymore. Uh, any letter writers in the room? Any of you still regularly? I'm impressed. That's pretty good. I, I noticed not a lot of guys raised their hands. Uh, I'm not a letter writer. Even when letter writing was a thing, wasn't much of a letter writer. Uh, but letter writing is kind of neat, and it's cool to get a letter in the mail or a card in the mail that's handwritten. We just don't do that a lot anymore. Well, for the church, for the early church to receive a letter, a hand-carried letter from the Apostle Paul was a big deal. Because remember, they didn't have scripture the way that we have it. And so as the church is growing, they relied on the teaching of people like Paul who would come and instruct them in the way that they were to live, in the way that they were to conduct uh, themselves. And so the epistle to the Ephesian church is like the epistle to the Galatian church is a letter of encouragement. We're going to talk about uh, the kind of the main focus, the main thrust behind Paul writing to them. But let me, let me say this real quick. You ever notice that there's things in life that shouldn't work, but they do? Like, like well, we'll go with food today. Uh, sweet and salty, right? Any, anyone like that? Kind of that sweet, salty, like a, a maple bar with bacon, yeah. right? It just, it shouldn't work, but it does. Uh, how many of you ever had a peanut, peanut butter on a hamburger? There's places they do, like Slater's 50-50 does peanut butter on a hamburger. You had one? I haven't had it. But you've heard of it. I've heard it's good. I can't, I can't bring myself to try it, but I've heard that it's good. Uh, how many of you dip your French, French fries in a chocolate shake? Right? Yeah, okay. All right. Resonating. Uh, I, one of my personal favorites, especially as we come up to the holidays, is like brie cheese with some kind of jam over it. It's all heated up. It doesn't seem like it should work, but it just... Any, anyone have, have any, any a little interaction this morning? I'm really surprised that you have something, Lynn. <laughs> salted caramel, yeah. Bacon and maple syrup. Bacon and maple I think bacon just is kind of the universal, like, bacon goes well with everything, including more bacon. One more. Any, anyone else? Yeah. Potato chip cookies. I'm going to have to, Oh, you don't like it. <laughs> so, Lori, I'll have to take your word on it for now. <laughs> Potato, right, a little crisp in there. There's things that just work that 
don't seem like they should. All of these things are uncommon. What we talked about right now are uncommon. But for some reason, they come together and like I, I could see some of the excitement. Now, it's going to be hard to get some of your attention back because I said the word bacon. Um, but can I tell you, it's a great picture of what the church is. It's a great picture of the church. See, the church is an uncommon fellowship. It's an uncommon fellowship. And when we start talking about the church in Ephesus, it's especially true about this church. See, the church in Ephesus was uncommon because the people who were part of the church in Ephesus came from literally all over the world. There were a group of people that were, they were diverse before diversity was a thing. And they came together, joined together by the gospel. I'm going to talk a little bit about the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was, at that time, the second most important city in the Roman Empire after the city of Rome. And I have a map up here I want to show you. Uh, this, is, this is the uh, Mediterranean. It's a little hard to, to read, but you can see up in the top left corner, uh, one of those dots is the city of Ephesus. Just to the left would have been Greece, and then past that would have been Rome. Down on the right-hand corner here along that shore is uh, Caesarea, and then a little further south is Jerusalem. And so we know from Scripture that, that Jesus lived and ministered in, in Israel, and that Christianity was born in Israel, but it quickly spread outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, and, and really took root. You can see up, up, if you follow the coast up along there, there's a city called Antioch. And we, we, we talked about Antioch a little bit where uh, the, there's a Gentile church that was established. Barnabas was sent to go and check out this church, make sure it was okay. Um, and then he goes and he gets Paul from Tarsus. They come back, they minister, to their, minister together there, and then they're sent out on their first missionary journey from Antioch, and their journey takes them north into this region, which was Asia Minor. And this really became the birthplace or the, uh, the starting point or the catalyst point for the church as we know it today. This is modern-day Turkey. So Ephesus and the ruins of Ephesus, in fact, are still, you can visit there today, but they're now what is known as Turkey. It's interesting to note that in a region where these churches, where Paul wrote these letters to all of these churches that were thriving, that today less than 1% of the people who live in that place are believers. And Christianity in that region of the world is more a point of historical reference than a present reality. Here's a couple of pictures of uh, Ephesus. Uh, marble streets and columns. It was a beautiful city. It was a wealthy city. It was a bustling metropolis. They had a huge uh, amphitheater, which we can see right here. Uh, and and you, this is looking back the other way down that main road. Now, of course, in those days, cities were not as big as we have cities today. But because people didn't generally stay there, they, they came in, traded, did what they ne needed to, to do, and then went on to other places. So the, it was a large city for that day and for that time. It was located right on the ocean. It had a, a low, uh, shallow water port, uh, centrally located between Asia, Europe, and the Middle East. And it was known for its excess, its wealth. It was lavish. It was kind of a party 
city. In fact, excavations in the city have discovered that a lot of the homes had running water, which is like for us is like, it's no big deal until you don't have it, right? No big deal. But in those days, for them to have the, the kind of engineering that had to be in place for them to have running water is incredible. In fact, they found some of the homes that have been excavated had heated bathrooms, right? So this just kind of paints a picture of how incredible the city was. And then, of course, located in the city of Ephesus was the Temple of Diana or Artemis, depending if you were Greek or Roman. And, uh, and, and, and they, people would come and they would worship Diana in this place. There was a lot of entertainment. There was a lot of prostitution, a lot of gambling in the city. And it, it is quite literally the, the city where the world converged. All of these boats, all of these roads coming together. And in the midst of all of this, this church is birthed and established and it starts to thrive. And in fact, the church in Ephesus is referenced to by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. And he talks about Ephesus and the Ephesian church and their good works and their commitment and their faithfulness. But of course, what does he address about them? You've lost your, your first love. Keep that in mind as we read today. See, we have to read these letters as a whole. Sometimes we read Scripture and we'll read a passage or a portion or a verse out of a, out of a chapter and, and just leave it at that and not get the full context of what's happening. And so when Paul sat down to write this letter to the Ephesian church, he wrote it as a complete thought. There was a reason why he was writing this letter, and he wrote the letter as a complete thought. Now, remember, it wouldn't have had the chapter and verse divisions like we have. I think sometimes those become kind of a, a stuck point for us, uh, kind of a fun thing to do, especially with some of the shorter books in the Bible. If you, have, you go online or if you have a Bible app, you can copy and paste that text and put it into a Word document or something, and just take out all the, the chapter and verse references and read it that way, kind of freeze our mind up a little bit to, to read it as it was written. Paul writes this letter as a complete thought, this epistle to these people that he loved. In fact, Paul visited Ephesians twice, and his second visit, I mean Ephesus twice, his second visit there, he actually stayed for three years. He was there for three years and ministered, and so he had a very close relationship with the people in that church. By the way, as with the letter to the Galatian church, uh, Galatia was a region. I failed to mention that last week. It wasn't a city. Ephesus is a city, but there were multiple churches in Ephesus and in the surrounding areas. And these letters were intended to be taken and read in all of the gatherings, all of the churches, so that the whole body would be built up. So Paul writes this letter. His purpose in writing is the encouragement and the equipping of the church. In fact, the, this letter to the church is a letter about how to be the church. If you want to understand what God's heart is for the church, what his design for the church is, what his intent for the church is, read the letter to the Ephesians because he just spells it out. He lays it out at this critical point in history. The major theme, though, through this whole book, and this is what we're going to press in on this morning, the major theme for Paul is this unity unity. Paul is extremely concerned 
about the unity that exists in the body of Christ. And so he writes these six chapters to this church, and through the whole book, through the whole letter, he keeps emphasizing and coming back to unity. Unity, unity, unity. In fact, one of the most quoted or recognized portions out of Ephesians is Ephesians 6, the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. And we love that, right? Some of us, we love the the armor of God. We want the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. Stand firm. But I think we, we miss the context. Why is Paul saying put on the armor of God? It comes back to this. Our unity is at stake. Our unity has been threatened. Why is the armor of God so important? Not so that you can be the conquering hero, so you can take your stand for unity in the body of Christ. And so when you put it in that context, it makes so much more sense, especially as as far as it applies to our lives. So I want to draw out three points out of the book of Ephesians this morning, and we'll, we'll get to the, the passages here in just a second. The first point is this. Paul talks about the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. By the way, if you have the app, the Thrive app this morning, you can follow along the notes and all of the references for these passages are in the, uh, the notes section on the app. Paul writes this, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church that is speaking of Jesus, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God placed everything under the authority of Jesus Christ, everything, and that the church is established and flows out of that. By the way, notice the unity between the Father and the Son, that in in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we have perfect unity. And when the Bible says that we're created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, that's not just about our personalities or our traits or our, our capacities, but it speaks to the unity that we're called to have. Jesus, remember, says that the world will know us by our love. The love we have for each other, that speaks to the unity that God calls us to. Paul then writes in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Not partially, completely. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Listen to this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you catch the unity? Absolutely united. God cannot be separated. He is absolutely united. He is one, and he calls us to live in the same way. But notice Paul's words here. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to keep the unity of relationship with each other. He doesn't put the onus on us yet. That's still coming. But he starts with this, that the unity of the body of Christ is birthed out of the unity of the Spirit. And he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
See, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when our eyes are fixed on him, unity between each other becomes possible. When we take our eyes off of him, our relationships suffer. Anyone relate to that? And it's so easy. Paul's writing to the Ephesian church and he's saying to them, listen, there's things that are coming into your body, into, the, into your midst. There's, there's ways of thinking and there's teachings and, and there's cultural things that are trying to impose themselves on you. Remember, the Ephesian church is in this lavish, bustling, vibrant, very alive city. And now all of a sudden, these people are living in a way that is contrary to the world around them. And in the same way as it happens today for the Ephesian church, the world is trying to press its way into the church versus the other way around. The world is pressing its way into the church rather than the church being inserted into the world and bringing something different, something uncommon, and something beautiful to bear. Make every effort to fight for the unity of the Spirit See, and I've shared this before, and it's worth saying again, the enemy, our only enemy, is seeking to bring division. That person that you are at odds with, that person that you are struggling with, that person where you feel like there's division, that person that you just rubs you the wrong way, they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Let's make that a little broader. That person who holds a different political view or that person who is in a particular political office is not the enemy. Is not the enemy. And our culture has told us that people are the enemy. And what slipped into the church is the sense of division where we've lost the unity of the Spirit and we're so busy fighting with each other that we've lost our effectiveness in the Spirit. See, the enemy is our enemy. People are not the enemy. See, the, the enemy wants to bring division between us and God. He wants to bring separation between you and the Lord. He wants you to question your love, His love, and care for you which is the same thing he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the same tactic. He doesn't change. It's the same thing. And what he wants to do is come between the most important relationship of your life, your relationship with God. He wants to separate you from the person who loves you and cares for you more than anyone else in this world. He wants to limit your dependence and your connection with the Father. He wants you to start looking to the things of the world to satisfy and take care of the needs that you have. He's wanting to distract us from the things that matter the most. And so Paul says, don't let these things find their way in. Maintain the unity of the Spirit. Paul writes in the first few chapters of, of Ephesians, he just presses into and focuses in on this. Listen, God came for a purpose. God is moving for, on, a, on purpose. That Jesus came for a reason. And he came to establish a new people, a new humanity, he says. He's come to do something new. And that newness has got nothing to do with this world. It has everything to do with our relationship with God. 
that Jesus did this work at Calvary, that he rose from the dead. Why? So we can have this relationship, this unity with the Spirit so that we can walk with him. And so the enemy's goal over and over and over is to lie and tell the church, you know what, God doesn't really care about you. And if I believe that God doesn't care about me and that God doesn't love me, how do you think that's going to affect the relationships I have? If I'm questioning whether God cares about me, I'm not going to be able to care for my brother and for my sister. And it's going to put me on this uneasy standing. And so Paul's writing again, this letter to the early church, and he's establishing something. He's setting a foundation and he's saying, don't forget what this is all about. It's all about the unity of the Spirit. It's all about you having the freedom to embrace God as your Father, as your King, as your friend, as your Lord, as your Savior. And He did that work for you. See, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that we need to remain in Him. It's the same idea in different words. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, a plant doesn't bear fruit if it doesn't stay united. Those branches that are cut off wither. They die. Jesus says we need to stay united with him. We need to stay connected with him. And when we stay connected with him, when, we're, when we have the unity of the spirit, when we understand, remember, they're an uncommon fellowship. And what is it that can bring people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different languages, different traditions? What is the thing that can unify all of those people better than anything else in the world? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was true in Ephesus. In church, it's true today. The church is the only place in the world that brings people together. We can rally around other things. People go, oh, we, we support the same football team or the same baseball team or we like this, we like this band, we go to this concert. But those things are hollow and they don't breed unity. They don't foster community. It's the church. God says, I've given you the church. I've given you my church so that you can be connected so that people, everyone, and Paul writes about this, Jew, Gentile, Greek, Greek, Jew, slave, free, male, female. It doesn't matter that when we come together in the unity of the spirit, we can be united, which is the second point, that we need to fight for the unity of the body that once we've established and we know that God is in control, that we are submitted to him, that, that we need to be united in, our, in the spirit, then he calls us to the unity of the body. In Ephesians 4 again, verse 4, there is one body, one body. Say one body. One body. I'm always like intrigued. People go, how many churches are there in Glendora? One. One church. Our culture has told us that there's other churches and that we're in competition with them. And, and it's pervasive. Pastors get weird about this stuff. 
Why? Because we've lost the unity of the body. And we've lost the unity of the spirit. As I've gotten to, to grow a relationship and build a relationship with some of the pastors in this community, I, I love spending time with them. Just the other night, uh, I, I'm sitting with Pastor Dave from Church of the Open Door. Our boys play football together, which go Glendora. They won on Friday night, CIF round two. I almost wore my Glendora football shirt today. I was so close. And I'm sitting with Pastor Dave, and we're just, like, just brothers. And we're just, hey, how are things going? What, what's going on in your life? And, oh, man, here's where my struggles are, and here's where things are going well. And, hey, what are you preaching about? Oh, this is what I'm speaking on. What, what about you? And, and it was so refreshing to sit with a brother in Christ who pastors just up the street and not feel like I have to be in competition with this guy. This is the church. There is one church. And we're called to be united, not just inside of our huddles, but as the church. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The body of Jesus Christ, his church, is extremely precious to him. He calls us a bride, his bride. He cares about his church, which means that he cares about when his church hurts, when his church is not healthy. He cares about that. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he says, you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. Ephesians 2, 18 through 20, for through him we have both access to the Father by one spirit. The word one shows up a lot in the book of Ephesians. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. This amazing picture. By the way, Paul uses all different, he mixes his metaphors like crazy in the book of Ephesians. We're talking about houses, and we're talking about the, the bride, and we're talking about the body, and we're talking about, and he just goes all over. But, but you hear in his passion, I need you guys to get this. And I'm going to use every approach that I can to help you. It's like, it's like a, a, a parent or, or a teacher telling a child a story or trying to explain something to them. And you're just like, I'm going to come at every direction, so make sure that you get this. We have access. You have access to the Father by the one Spirit. And because of what God has done, because of the unity of the Spirit, guess what? We're no longer foreigners and strangers. We're no longer foreigners and strangers. That you and I are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. We're fellow citizens. So, another sports story, another victory story. A couple of weeks ago, South Africa, the, the place where I was born, made it to the Rugby World Cup final. And I stayed up till 2 o'clock in the morning to watch it live. And they won. And it was an epic win. And, uh, and I hadn't watched a full rugby match probably since I lived in South Africa. And, and the, the game was great. But here's what was really neat. It was as I started posting on Facebook and social media, oh, wow, 
You know, we were like, go Boca. They, they're spring box and Afrikaans, we call them the, the Boca. And we were, and all of a sudden, this community of people who I haven't been in contact with for 20 years springs to life on my Facebook page around rugby. More than that, though, around being South African. And we start sharing, and there's these stories that are being told and conversations that are being had over, over a sport, just a sport. But our identity as being born in South Africa, and I'm talking about people all over the world, literally all over the world, but there was this camaraderie all of a sudden, and I was just like, yes, this is great. How much more? The, that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And that when we come together, and I recognize, he, Jason's going to be like, I'm not sitting on the front row anymore. <laughs> that when Jason and I connect and we recognize, yes, we live in America. But more than that, you're a brother in Christ. You're a citizen of the kingdom. Me too. And there's this excitement that wells up that says, you know what? We're not strangers. And you know this if you've had this kind of experience. You meet someone, maybe in an airport, maybe on a trip somewhere, and you both realize that you're believers or followers of Jesus Christ. Is there not in that moment a connection? Isn't there something shared where you go, oh, and now there's this whole language and there's a whole vocabulary and a whole posturing and a whole, right, that you're just able to relate to each other in, just like that. Why? Because we're not just citizens of this world. We are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we stop being foreigners and strangers. But here's the thing. We have to fight to maintain it. Because the enemy wants to rob us of that identity. He wants to rob us of that citizenship. And what he, the way that he does that for us, church, is he tries to make us think and believe that we're more citizens of this world than we are of that. It's why Paul writes in Romans, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Right? I think we default to sin. Every, how many of you, you read all these verses and you just interpret as don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. And, and it's not his intent. What he's saying is there's a way that the world wants you to think. There's a way that the prince of the air of this, the, the, the one who has dominion over this world wants you to think. And it's contrary to the way of his kingdom. So don't conform to those patterns. Remember that you are a citizen of heaven. And because you're a citizen of heaven, the people around you are fellow citizens. And we have to fight to maintain that. See, there is one church. Lots of expressions, lots of fellowships, lots of gatherings, just as there were in Paul's time. Geographically separated that was a part of our, our, our distinction from early on. But Paul says there's one church. Remember this one letter being read in multiple gatherings. There's one church. You are a part of the body of Christ. And the parts have to be joined together. You know this. I know this. That when my body is damaged, when some part of my body begins to ache, doesn't all your attention just go to that? Right? Pain, just that, that signal. You just know something's wrong and it's got to get fixed. 
I'm not okay and that's not okay. See, when, when parts of my body are at odds with each other, that's a problem. And I, I do everything that I can to make sure that I get better. Whether that's rest, taking an Advil, seeing a doctor, and all the way up to all of the serious things that we would deal with in our body. But we know this, no matter if it's just a headache or you have a broken arm, it doesn't feel right. You know what I'm saying? When you don't feel right, you're like something is out of place. And God's telling us this. He says, when, when the members of my body are not connected in the right way, or when sickness invades the body, it doesn't feel right. Now, as I'm looking around this room, I know most of us have been in church. Many of us have been in church for a long time, and maybe you've been a part of multiple different churches. You know what I'm talking about. You know that moment where you're like, something doesn't feel right. And I think what we do is we try and assess it from a human point of view. Well, we need to fix this and we need to fix that or they need to do this. But what we ignore is the unity of the body. Because more often than not, when things don't feel right, it means that the body is suffering. And what we need to do is go, where is relationship broken? Where is the enemy coming in and bringing division within the unity of the body. See, it doesn't feel right because relationships suffer. And it's one of the things that breaks the heart of God. See, we're members of one body, the body of Christ. And we have to know this, that God is not okay with us walking in disunity. He's just not. It doesn't feel right and it shouldn't. You know that when you're talking to someone or maybe you've been the someone, when you're sick and people are like, hey, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm fine. That's weird because you're just like, you're sweating like crazy and you look like you're about to pass out. No, I'm good. I'm good. Right? We can't pretend it away. That this is a priority for God and he's not okay when within his body we walk in disunity. We have to fight. For unity within the body. And the last point is this. Unity of our mission. Or unity of the mission. Paul writes in Ephesians 4. 11 through 13. So Christ gave him, uh, himself. Gave the apostles. The prophets. The evangelists. The pastors and teachers. To equip his people for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be. Built up. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. A lot of things going on here. Paul's saying you've got to grow up in Jesus. There's, there's more. And you're never going to get to a point where you max out. You're never going to get to a point where you go, I learned all the lessons, I know all the stuff. Never. In fact, the people that I know who've walked with Jesus for a long time and have remained faithful to the Lord and pressed him, the further they get down the road, the more humble they become and they go, I don't know anything. I feel like I'm just getting started. I got to share an office. I've shared this before. Dr. Clarence Hall, when I was first a youth pastor, he, he was one of the contributors to the book that, that is the basis for our theology 
The man was brilliant. In fact, Ephesians, I'm always humbled when I read Ephesians because I, I sat with him. And forgive me, I've shared this story before, but it's, it's worth repeating. Dr. Hall was in his 90s. He taught Ephesians at Life Bible College for over 40 years. And one Saturday morning, he says to me, and I'm just a young, know-it-all youth pastor. <laughs> I really was. Like, like most youth pastors, I've got three th theology classes under my belt. Let's go. And Dr. Hall says to me, you know, Barry, I've read the book of Ephesians at least once every day for the last 45 years. At least once. And then he pauses. And then he goes, and every time I read it, I learn something new. And I was undone. I thought, Lord, I want to be like that. I want to have that kind of appetite for you. Paul says, listen, you can grow and you're going to attain. You're going to re reach this maturity. And there's going to be this measure of the fullness of Christ that is poured into your life, which is amazing. But let me back up a couple of verses. He says that he's given those, that's called the fivefold ministry, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. That he's given these to the church. Why? to do the work of the ministry. No, that's, that's what this world says. That's the culture we've, we've really bought into, the church culture. I go to a church and the pastors and the leaders do the work of the ministry and we play a supporting role. Paul's writing this letter and addressing this because in the early church, it was already a thing. It was already an issue. And Paul says, no, that Jesus himself has given these different people, these different roles, these different functions in the body of Christ. Why? To equip you, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That we would then turn that attention. Why? First, so that the body of Christ would be built up both internally and as others, as other members are added and others become citizens of this kingdom. And so everybody is invited to participate in the mission of God. Everybody, everyone who would call on the name of the Lord, all of a sudden, you're invited. You're a part of God's plan. You're a part of God's mission. And you're not just playing a supporting role. You're an important part of God, what God is doing in the world. Now, do you need equipping? Absolutely. So do I. Do we need to be invested in? Do we need to be built up? Do we need to be, be, to be mature in our walk with the Lord? Absolutely. But we can't forget this, that there is a unity of the mission of God that each of us play a part. And so we could say, you know what? God has saved me. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm a, I'm a part of the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. But I don't really play a part. It doesn't jive. It doesn't fit. It doesn't mix. It doesn't connect. That if I understand that God has saved me, that he's done this amazing work, and there's the unity of the spirit, and if I understand that there's the unity of the body, that I'm connected to and surrounded by people who care about me, it makes sense then that I would be a part of the mission that God has called his church to be on in the world. And can we agree this morning that the job's not done? 
The job's not done. Everybody doesn't know Jesus. Not everyone has heard. Not everyone knows. Not everyone has had the opportunity to say yes. There are people in your life who don't know Jesus. They don't know the hope and the grace and the mercy and the love and the compassion of God. And they're desperate for it. Paul stood in Ephesus and he looked at the temple of Diana. And he makes a statement. He says that the spirit of God, that God does not live in temples built by human hands. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It was only a few hundred years later that that major edifice, that big temple in this major city ended up getting destroyed. In fact, did we see the ruins at all? Yeah, we, we looked at the ruins. They're there. They're, 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 the stones don't stand. No one goes there anymore other than to just walk around the ruins. But you know what does stand? The church of Jesus Christ. But we're not done yet. The mission has not been accomplished. There is work for us to do. And God says that we need to join him that we need to maintain the unity of the mission that he's called us to. Jesus wrote this in 1720, chapter 17, John 17, verse 20, sorry. And we'll close on this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What's the theme of the book of Ephesians, the letter to Ephesians? It's unity. And why? Because it's the theme of the kingdom of God. The theme of God's kingdom is, Father, we're one. And let the world see us in them because we are one. Allow the world to see, see the Father through these people, through you, because of the love that we have for each other, through the unity that we have for each other. So we need to fight for the unity of the Spirit. We need to fight for the unity of the body. We need to contend for it. And we need to fight for the unity of the mission of God. Because the enemy is going to be at us every day. I don't know what your week has looked like, but I can look through my week and go, oh yeah, I can see the places where the enemy has tried to weasel in and lie and disrupt and steal and kill and destroy and separate relationships. It, it's not a surprise that my wife and I had a really hard day yesterday in communicating. We just could not seem to connect with each other. And I'm going, duh. I'm about to preach this message about the unity of the body and the unity of the spirit. Where do you think the enemy is going to hit you? And again, we go, oh, it's because there's sin in my life. No, God's saying, listen, you've got to pay attention because the enemy wants to disrupt the things, the good things that I've done and the good things that I'm doing. So put on the full armor of God. And take your stand and fight for that unity at all costs. Now, there's this movie coming out tomorrow, uh, the, the Midway 
Is it tomorrow or is it, did it already come out? Tomorrow. tomorrow. In fact, I think there's a group of guys going tomorrow morning to AMC Glendora. There's a group of dudes who are going to go watch a, a great war flick. So if you want to go, talk to Andrew afterwards. 11.45. I love, one of the things I love in those movies, you see, like it says, we celebrate Veterans Day, is that there's shared mission and these people rally. And in the face of impossible odds, there's no way they should have won. And they bring that fight to the enemy and they walk away victorious. Can I tell you the battle of Midway doesn't hold a candle to what God is doing in his church today. As long as we will remain committed to staying united. Amen? Let's stand together and invite the worship team to come. So Father, this morning we, we ask, Lord, in each of these areas, Lord, where we might be struggling with unity, Lord, whether it's personally just fully believing and embracing that you have done a great work for us, that Jesus, you have saved us, and not by any work of our own that you've done the work. Lord, I pray that we would be fully embracing of that truth in our lives as you fully embrace us. God, I pray for the places in our lives where the unity of the body is being threatened. In those places, Lord, in our homes and in our marriages, in our relationships with those closest to us, our children, Lord, with our neighbors and our, our friends, Lord, in our church community, God, where the unity of the body is being threatened, God, we pray that you would set your guardian angels in place. Lord, I pray that there would be an empowering of your spirit would take place, that we would be able to stand with the full armor of God and go to fight for each other, not fight with each other. And God, I pray that we would remember that we've been called to partner with you in your mission in the world to reach those who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, who don't have this hope. And to extend that invitation, Lord, to join the kingdom, to become citizens of heaven. I pray, Lord, that we would avail ourselves to being equipped and built up to be the ministers of the kingdom of God that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.